Good morning. Happy Easter. You know, um, if we haven't met, my name's Matt, and I'm a drummer. Don't hold that against me. But what do all halfway decent, maybe not even halfway decent, what do all drummers want to do in high school? They want to start a garage band, am I right? So, like any, I think, I'll, I'll say I was a halfway decent drummer. I'll give myself that credit in high school. I was like, we're going to start a garage band. i got a friend who plays piano really well, and I've got another friend who sings okay, and I have another friend who owns an electric guitar. What could go wrong? So we did. We started a band, and our first practice, we're like, all right, we're not going to be no cover band, okay? We're going to come up with our own stuff, all right? Because we know how to write songs. No, we did not. And so we, we tried to write some songs, and they were terrible. I, I don't even remember the melody of any chorus of songs we wrote. We did a gig at a church like fundraiser thing, and it was, it was, it bombed. It was terrible. Um, but I do remember the, the, the name of our first song that we wrote, and it was called Satisfaction Guaranteed. I wish I could like sing a little bit of it for you. You probably don't wish that, but I, I wish I could, but it was called Satisfaction Guaranteed. Terrible song. Don't even remember anything about it. Countless other bands, though, have written songs about satisfaction, right? All week, I can't get the, the, the Rolling Stones out of my head, right? I can't get, no, you're going to have that in your head all day. You're welcome. But countless songs have been written about this, and it's because satisfaction is a fascinating concept when you think about it. Since the beginning... People have searched for and reached for satisfaction in all sorts of things. And we reach for satisfaction in things for, from things that can't actually give it to us. And it's a lot like taking sand and trying to pick it up. But what happens when you try to pick up sand? It goes right through your fingertips. You can never quite get a hold of it. And we do this. We do this all sorts of things. We reach for satisfaction in substances. We reach for satisfaction in scrolling on things on our phone. We reach for satisfaction um, through drinks like coffee. Um, many of you know Greg Picklap, who is one of our elders, and he posted this this week, and I was like, I can't resist. Um, he's no quitter. Happy birthday, Greg. Where are, is he out there? There he is. Happy birthday, by the way. It is his birthday. Yeah, give Greg a hand. He told me he's 19 today, so. <laughs> oh, my. I'm not going to repeat that. And uh, no, happy birthday, Greg. But thanks for, for uh, throwing that on social media this week. But coffee, pop, you name it, we reach for satisfaction, it goes right through our fingertips. The thing is, it, satisfaction can't be found in instant gratification. At least not the way we're hoping it will. It can't be found in quick fixes. See, we think that riches, we think that fame, we think all of this stuff we reach for is going to give us what we want. But it cannot give you real, lasting satisfaction that you're searching for. But I have great news. 
for you this morning. Jesus' resurrection offers us rock-solid satisfaction that does not slip through your fingertips. Because Jesus is alive, and by the way, he didn't rise from the dead today. He's been alive forever because Jesus is alive and will always be alive. You can find satisfaction that you're actually reaching for and looking for day in and day out in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the good news this morning for us. So we're going to jump into Isaiah 53, and we've been going through this series called 700 Years, and it's called that because Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it happened that Jesus would live, die, and rise from the dead. And today, we're talking about his resurrection. So I want to show you how even 700 years ago, God's objective behind the resurrection was actually satisfaction. Let's read Isaiah 53, 10 to 12. It's on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Bible with you. So Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Did you hear that? Pleased, pleasure, satisfied, portion. This section of Isaiah 53 is from God's perspective. So we need to look at this objectively first from God's perspective, writing to God's people who are waiting for the Messiah. Now, God, from his perspective, knew that the Messiah would be himself, Jesus, coming to earth. So as we look at this as, from God's perspective, because that's how it's written, God will be satisfied. God the Father will be satisfied by the Messiah's resurrection or by Jesus' resurrection. And we see this, verse 10, the Lord will, was pleased to crush him severely. God, who's holy in his divine just anger for sin, satisfied because Jesus took that on himself. It was an act of love toward us who are sinners. You see, it, this verse reads kind of harshly, but God would be satisfied by that because he was, he was justly taking care of evil and sin within us. So God will be satisfied by the Messiah's resurrection through the pain of of watching the Messiah die, knowing that that will be worth it. Also, God will be satisfied because the Messiah will be alive. Verse 10, he will prolong his days. And that might seem obvious, but that's what it's saying in verse 10. Jesus will rise. 
And next, his, his mission will be accomplished. God has a mission in all this. In verse 10, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. God knew what he was doing. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he was accomplishing the Lord's mission. Now let's look at it from the Messiah, who we know in this, on this side of redemptive history was Jesus. The Messiah will be satisfied himself. Obviously, he'll be alive and not dead. That's pretty satisfying, obviously. But also the pain of bearing the weight of sin would be over for him. Relief. Verse 11, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. And be satisfied because what he set out to accomplish by going through the life that he lived, which was not a great life by anyone's standards, very uncomfortable, ending in crucifixion. But it was worth it. The pain of bearing the weight of the rebels, it says in verse 12, was worth it. Also, the Messiah would be satisfied because sons and daughters would be one. Verse 10, he will see his seed. This is talking about sons and daughters. Verse 12, therefore I will give him the many as a portion. This is talking about people who would believe in Christ, who would follow Christ, who would be his children. And he's like, this, this would get him excited and get him, and get him to a point where he is so pumped because now he has sinners like us who are covered by his blood who are now called his children. And Jesus won this for us by rising from the dead, which means as his sons and daughters, if you've believed in Jesus, you can and should be satisfied too. All because of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter. But before we dive into the types of rock solid satisfaction that we have today, through the resurrection, I want to share with you something that I discovered not that long ago. So there was a Harvard study tracking Harvard students and their kids and their kids for over 75 years, and it's the longest study done on happiness. What makes a person happy from their perspective? It's a fascinating study. There's a, if you want just a quick overview, there's a TED Talk on YouTube you can find pretty quickly called What Makes a Good Life? Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness. And this was put out in 2015 by Robert Waldinger, the guy who does it. It's fascinating stuff, but I'm just going to cut to the chase and give you their main finding. Their main finding was this. This is going to be no surprise to anyone. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. They found kind of as, as sub-points under that that social connections are really good for us and loneliness kills. They found that the quality of your close relationship really matters even more than the quantity. And they found that good relationships protect our brains and as we age, even our memory which I thought was fascinating in and of itself. There, there was even more really fascinating things if you're into that, but good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Now, I was thinking, you know, what, what are the most satisfying things in my life? And what I mean by that is obviously the most satisfying thing truly is my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And these things I'm about to mention are part of my relationship. It's not like anything is apart from my, my relationship with God is my life. But here are the things in this world that I enjoy, that I find to be the most satisfying. First is the joy of constant, consistent companionship with my wife, Heather. There's just nothing more satisfying than that. Knowing day to day, we're together. We have this bond, this companionship that's not going anywhere. And that's backed by that Harvard study, right? Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Second thing, I love the mountains. Yeah, I love hiking in them. I love seeing them. I love just sitting and staring at them and, and praying and just enjoying God's creation in general, but especially the mountains. And third, I'd say just the hope of a special event coming in my life. Like not even the special events, like whether it's a trip or a vacation or whatever it is, like a holiday, even today. I, I was excited. I loved the buildup to today. I find a lot of satisfaction in that. But here's the reality of all of those things that I just said. My wife could die at any moment. I could never see the mountains again. Circumstances could align that I never see the mountains again in my life. I could be, I could get in a car wreck or something and be incapacitated and, and literally have no special events to look forward to in, in this life. All even good, less quick fix sources of satisfaction could slip right through your fingertips at any moment. And this is true for you too. Whatever you find most satisfying could just slip right through your fingers, even if they're good, great, God-honoring things. However, however, there is rock-solid, deep satisfaction that is offered to us, all because Jesus is alive. So let me show you the types of rock-solid satisfaction offered to us through the resurrection. First, Jesus' resurrection offers rock-solid satisfaction through past confidence in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Past confidence. The rock-solid validity of the resurrection of Jesus over 2,000 years ago can give you so much satisfaction. But how can we be so sure how can we be so sure that Jesus really did rise from the dead? First, I want to show you right in Isaiah 53. Jesus fulfilled a 700-year prophecy. Look at this on the screen. Verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied, the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the portion, the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. You see here in the yellow, these are all the different ways that Jesus' resurrection was foretold in Isaiah 53. But here in Luke 24, I just highlighted all of it because all of this is showing 
the, the fulfillment of the 700-year-old prophecy. Luke 24, 36. This is Jesus. He's, he's coming to his disciples after he rose from the dead. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why did doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. But it is I myself, touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, there's a line to think about. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. He took it and ate it in their presence. And he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, including Isaiah 53, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand Isaiah 53 as well as others that pointed to him. In verse 46, he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Isaiah 53 clearly points to the resurrection. We see within here, though, not just evidence, not just confidence in the past because of the 700-year-old prophecy. We see in this confidence coming from eyewitnesses. You see, as you look at Luke 24 here, Jesus proved he was alive to the point of showing them the scars in his hands and his feet. And they came up and touched him. We see that in other accounts where they, they, they were like, wow, okay, he really is alive. But this is significant. And you, you may not have noticed it or it seems almost like a throwaway verse, but verses 42 and 43, he took fish and he ate it. He was alive. They saw him eat, proving he is alive. Josh McDowell, in his book, More Than a Carpenter, puts it like this. If the resurrection had happened, obviously the disciples would have known it. Therefore, they not only would have died for a lie, here's the catch, they would have known it was a lie because here's how they died. Peter, originally called Simon, was crucified. Andrew was crucified. James, son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. John, son of Zebedee, died a natural death. The only one. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was killed by a spear. Matthew was killed by the sword. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. You see, we can trust that Jesus did rise from the dead because these disciples, as Josh McDowell puts it here, not only saw Jesus, they, they could have pretended to see Jesus alive and made up a story. But people don't make up a story and then get crucified for the story they made up. Much less all of them minus John. Jesus 
truly is alive. Tim Keller adds to this in his book, The Reason for God. He says, it is not enough for the skeptic then to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all these historical questions. And he gives a ton in the book. I'm going to give you the two I found most convincing. He says, no other band of messianic followers in that era concluded that their leader was risen from the dead. Why did this group do so? No one was going around saying, hey, our leader rose from the dead. Nope. Everyone else, their leader had died. And they were fine with that. Or maybe not fine with it, but they didn't come up with claims like this. Next, Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their worldview virtually overnight? I'll tell you what changed their worldview virtually overnight. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And they saw him and he was alive. So I encourage you to find deep satisfaction that what happened in the past, Jesus' resurrection really did happen. Be satisfied this Easter through past confidence in Jesus' resurrection. Next, Jesus' resurrection offers deep satisfaction through present comfort, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49, this is the very next verse in the passage we just read in Luke 24. Jesus says, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Here's what we know. Jesus is pointing to the Holy Spirit, sending God himself to comfort them, to live within them, to dwell within them and be with them all the time. We know this because you, you just go back a few chapters in Luke and we see what did the Father promise? He promised the Holy Spirit. Go a few chapters forward in Acts. Who, who, who comes? Who, who empowers them from on high in that opening chapters of Acts? It's the Holy Spirit. So today, find comfort in each and every moment in your life. If you are in Christ, find comfort in the fact that he is with you. Remind yourself that God is there with you because he is. Even in the moments of temptation, even in the moments of boredom, even in the moments of anxiety, even in moments of fear, even in the moments of joy, the same reality is true. He is here. Remind yourself of that. God himself is here. There will be moments, perhaps today, where it does not feel like he's here, but do not listen to what you feel. Listen to what is real. The Holy Spirit is here. And there's so much confidence. There's so much comfort. There's so much joy that comes with living in that reality. He is here. That changes everything. You know, the last couple weeks, internally have been challenging for me, been difficult for me. I've been a bit anxious, if I'm honest, about what ifs because of prior bad things that have happened around Easter. I know for a fact that that's true for some of you as well. This time of year, just some terrible things have happened in your life. 
And it's hard to shake that. But I found a ton of comfort this week reminding myself of what I'm preaching right now, that he really is here in this moment. And even if something terrible happens again, he is here. We are never truly alone. Remember that in the moments and the days and the weeks where you feel alone. Find deep satisfaction because the living God really is with you in the present and will be always. Be satisfied this Easter through present comfort, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Next, Jesus' resurrection offers deep satisfaction through future relief from the present, through our own resurrection. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' promise to believers is that he will personally resurrect them. When? On the last day. When Jesus comes again. If you have believed in Jesus, on the last day when he comes again, you will get a brand new perfect body in a brand new perfect world. Heaven will come to earth. The new heavens, the new earth. By the way, if you die before Jesus comes back, it isn't like you're putting some weird holding tank until that happens. My understanding as I, as I study scripture is that you spiritually, your spirit goes to heaven and you'll enjoy it like you would otherwise. But when Jesus comes back, you, your physical body is raised and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want that to happen. Well, you will. Here's why. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 more about our resurrections. It says, so it, wa- so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So Paul's first couple descriptions of our resurrection bodies encompass the rest that he mentions here. So I just want to focus on the first couple. Verse 42, sown in corruption. Our bodies now are sown in corruption. Physically, literally, we are all dying a little bit every day. That is the sobering reality. And one day we will be buried in the dirt if we die before Jesus comes back or we'll be burned to ashes. But... If you are in Christ, your resurrection body then will be an uncorrupted physical body. You will be raised. You will have relief from all illness, weakness, sickness, and even the possibility of all illness, weakness, and sickness physically. This is a physical resurrection. You will get relief from all the ailments and that, that, that muscle that hurts you all the time and that cough that you just can't seem to shake and those allergies that always crop up this time of year. All of that, gone forever. This is the relief we will get from the present. You will not have to deal with all of those physical ailments anymore. Verse 43, though, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. Our bodies are 
are now sown in dishonor, which, meaning, which means that spiritually we have a sin nature from the get-go and we dishonor God with our sinful acts. And even after we come to know Christ, apart from his blood covering our sins, we dishonor Jesus over and over and over again. Our bodies are sown in dishonor, but our resurrection bodies then will be glorious, it says. We will receive relief spiritually from all evil and sin in us, from all evil and sin around us, and from all evil and sin anywhere near you. Hurting someone won't even be an option anymore. Accidentally hurting someone else won't even be an option. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about all of it, but I, man. But think of it the other way too. No one will hurt you. No one even can hurt you at that point. This is what it means that we will rise from the dead. This is what it means that we will have a resurrection body, that physically and spiritually we will have relief from the present. Find deep satisfaction in the fact that you will be raised and relieved from the present. Be satisfied this Easter through future relief from the present through his resurrection. Now I want to put up this last slide as just a review. Yeah, I guess it's already up there. And I want you to take your phone out and take a picture of it. And here's why I want you to take a picture of it. You're going to forget a lot of what I said this morning, and I'm pretty cool with that. But I want you in the moments when you're reaching for satisfaction in things you know that don't actually satisfy, to remind yourself of where you can actually find true satisfaction, in the moments where you are joyless, that you would turn here and remind yourself of the joy that you can have through Christ. But I want to focus on a word on this screen. Jesus' resurrection offers, it's an invitation. You have to accept an invitation or decline it. If you have not repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, this is the kind of satisfaction that's offered to you today. So I would, I would encourage you I would invite you, I would offer to you because Jesus is offering this to you. I would dare you to believe in Jesus because he's alive and he offers the deep rock solid satisfaction that you've only dreamed of to this point in your life. Take him up on his offer. And if you have repented and believed in Jesus, cling to the satisfaction won by our savior who rose from the dead. Jesus' resurrection offers rock salad satisfaction today, tomorrow, and for eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the satisfaction we have in you. I thank you, Jesus, that you won that for us by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And Jesus, I pray that some people in here who have not taken up your offer would take up your offer and simply repent of their sin, turn away from their sin, and believe in you. And Jesus, I pray 
that you would fill us with your joy today. This literally is born, I mean, it's, it's the most exciting day of the year for us as a church family. So I pray, God, that we would be excited. Even if there's things that are just terrible going on in our lives, that you would fill us with joy that transcends our circumstances, but that you would do that every day. And I thank you for the comfort of your presence, that you will, you promise, you promise us that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. In your powerful name, I pray, Jesus. Amen.